Last week officially ended our series of God's Grand Story, but I want to go one more week of sharing a story that actually is the very, very last story in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible, you may open it up to the book of, not Malachi, I know that that might be the last book that you have there, but it's the story of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah comes a little bit earlier, it's before the book of Psalms, uh, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, Ezra, and then Nehemiah is right after that. But most experts will say that it is the latest book that was written. Not obviously in the order that you have in your Bibles, but in a date-wise, chronologically wise. And um, the reason I, I, I want to share with it today, share that story, is because I think it speaks to our country, our nation, where we are right now. It speaks to people who may be feeling a sense of discouragement, maybe dealing with a little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety about the future. Anybody here a little anxious about the future and what's coming up? Okay, okay. Yeah, there, there, there seems to be that sentiment across our nation. Um, after Tuesday, I've met people with a whole gamut of emotions. Some are elated. Some are, are, are glad, not so sure about the future. Others would say, you know, I'm a little bit down. Others would say, I'm in despair. One thing that we can all know, though, if we follow the Lord, is that God is in control. Amen? Amen. That's what we need to remember. We need to remember that and know that He is working things out. Um, and we have to fight that sense of apprehension of not necessarily knowing where the days ahead will lead because that can lead to a sense of discouragement. And um, I, I want to share with you just a few stories about some discouragement lifters, about uh, people who maybe were told no in life, um, but continued to keep on and succeeded anyway. Let me share with you one here. Some of these are from the business sense. Some of them are from the um, political sense. Um, but uh, Colonel Sanders, many of you recognize that name, the Kentucky Fried Chicken guy. You know what happened with this guy? He retires, he decides that he's going to come up with this new idea of having this famous secret recipe for chicken, and uh, do you know how many times he was rejected by restaurants and financers and banks? He kept a journal of it. He was rejected um, over 1,009 times until finally someone said, yeah, okay, we'll back you. Um, that is an incredible story of persistence. And I know that some of you who have eaten there wish that maybe it wouldn't have been such a story of persistence. But, but that's all right. That's a different story altogether. Um, I, I think about he in, in continuing on until he succeeded. I think about Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron struck out. The baseball player struck out more times than 99% of all baseball players. But he continued on and persisted until he broke Babe Ruth's home run record. I think of Abraham Lincoln in the area of politics. I think about how he failed twice at business. He failed the bar exam twice. He suffered a nervous breakdown in his life. And even in the political realm, do you realize that eight times, eight times, he was not elected to a political office that he ran for? And then he became the president of the United States. At a, at a time when God needed him most, right there with a divided nation ahead of him. I, I think of uh, Thomas Edison. Do you know Thomas Edison at one time was called a dunce? Albert Einstein flunked math. It's true. It's true. 
R.H. Macy tried seven times and failed seven times to open a store before the eighth time, and he, and he named the store, what was the name of it? Macy's. Yep, highly successful store. You know what all these people have in common? They were all able to hear the word no and keep on keeping on and continue on. Well, today we're going to hear a story much like that from Scripture of a man who went through that. It kind of reminds me, though, of the dad who was trying to talk his son out of um, uh, quitting high school. I don't know if you heard about this, but um, he says, son, don't quit. There are so many great leaders in our history that never quit. He said, Moses never quit. He said, Abraham Lincoln didn't quit. Thomas Edison, uh, Henry Ford, Elmo McClinko. And his son kind of looked at him and said, Elmo McClinko? I I never heard of him. Dad said, that's because he quit. (laughs) Good point, huh? Good point, right? Right? Nehemiah was one of those guys that never quit. If you remember the history that we talked about over the last few weeks of this series, the background was he was born and lived about 450 years before Jesus Christ. He was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And if you don't remember him, he was the king of Persia that overcame Babylon after Babylon had overrun Judah. And so God's chosen people, the Jewish people, were drug off into Babylon. Now Persia has overrun them. And here's the king. And and Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. And if you have your Bibles, it's in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2. Says, and the king said to me, now remember, the cupbearer goes before the king, and the king can decide what he wants to do with him. And he asked them, he says, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then Nehemiah said, I was very much afraid because he did not know what the king was going to do to him. I mean, he had a, he had a broken heart, but after he prays, He asked the king if he can go back to his homeland and begin to rebuild the wall. And the king says yes. And so he travels by night to a city that is even worse than he expected it to be. But he doesn't get discouraged. He gets busy. He jumps in and he starts the build. And even many non-Jews feel threatened as he goes back to this homeland here. And they begin to make fun of him um, and make fun of the project that he's going to do. But again, he doesn't get down. He doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't get discouraged. He just continues to do what God has called him to do. And when they are halfway through with the project... The rumors start to fly. The attackers are coming. The attackers are coming. But again, he doesn't get discouraged. He just gets busy. He says, arm yourselves while you work with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. And when the work is almost done, they actually bring about a false prophet. And he says that, you know what? God is not in this. God will not bless your work that you are doing. But again, Nehemiah doesn't get discouraged. He just continues to go forth with what God has called him to do. And even after the city is then rebuilt, and he returns back to the king, he comes back later, a few years later, to find out that the beautiful, the city is now beautiful, but the people are in ruin. And so he steps out and he calls them to repentance. It seems like everywhere Nehemiah goes, he faces opposition, he faces persecution, he faces slander, he faces ridicule, 
I mean, he is just going through it. I mean, if this was me, I, I'd be incredibly hurt. I mean, friends are turning on you. Family is turning on you. Other people, enemies, they're, they're all kind of turning on you. You know, you know what he kind of reminds me of? Do you remember as a kid, or maybe you did this, you got this for your kids or your grandkids, um, those, those, those punching bag, clown-like kind of weeble-wobble things, right? You remember the sand in the bottom? Remember that? What do you do when you punch that thing? What, what happens? It pops back up, doesn't it? That seems like that's what Nehemiah was. Bam, he gets hit, he pops back up. Bam, again, he pops back up. Bam, again, he pops back up. And maybe you are here today and you feel just like that. Maybe you feel like you've just been hit on all different sides. And you're, you're, you're just kind of just feeling it from all different angles. Maybe you're even here today and you're just, well, someone invited me to watch a baptism here and I'm not really sure about why I'm even here. I I was even going to slip out, but no, you're here. You're here for a reason and a purpose. You're here to hear God's word spoken to you, shared with you about how a man overcame some anxious times, some discouraging times in his life. And so if you have your outline, pull that slip out. Also your Bibles, you'll see it up on the screen though as well. Here's Nehemiah, here's the story. We're going to look at a specific incident that helped him overcome discouragement and frustration. Nehemiah chapter 4. It says, when Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry. And by the way, I had no matching this up with a new president who wants to build a wall. All right, all right, so let's just leave it right there, okay? Did not line that one up there, okay? I will try everything I can not to share any jokes about that either today. Might be a little hard, but here it goes, okay? He was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews who were building this new wall. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? And then Tobiah, who, you know, you you got the spokesman here at Sambalite, you got his little henchman, Tobiah here. He's like, you know, just throwing this out there as well. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Here is a guarantee in life. Let me just share this with you. When you try to do something big, there will be critics. Count on it. When you try and do something great for God, there will be critics. In fact, if you don't have any critics, maybe you're not shooting big enough. You will always face opposition. You will always face critics when you go for something big. And that's what Nehemiah was going for. Go on to verse 6. It says, so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. But then Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very, what's the word there? They were angry. Here's the opposition coming in. They were angry 
And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. And in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Here's what the rebuilders face. In fact, you have it on your outline there. If you just want to fill it in real quick, we're going to go through these very quickly. Here's what they faced. They faced fatigue. They faced frustration. They faced failure. And they faced fear. Let me say those again. Fatigue, frustration, failure, and fear. We're going on. You can just read those verses, reread them, and find that in all those verses we just read. And this was when the wall was halfway complete. It was at that special place that they said, where are we going with this? Is this working? Is this not? Are we going to continue on, or are we not going to? And many of the workers became discouraged at this point. In fact, their discouragement spilled over to others who, was, who were living around there at that time. Look at verse 12. It says, and at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. Stop what you're doing. Get back. In fact, let me just say it this way. Here is a, another lesson learned. And this is not your outline, but if you just want to write this in the margin somewhere, this is a freebie, all right? Someone else's negativity can change your reality. Let me say that again. Someone else's negativity can change your reality. You say, what, what do you mean by that, Pastor Brad? Let me kind of explain what I mean by that. Do you know how long the Jews have been trying to rebuild this wall? They have been trying for 90 years to get this wall to be rebuilt. Nine zero, not 19, nine zero. 90 years they have been trying to rebuild this wall. And the experts have been telling them, you can't do it. You can't do it. It's not going to happen. Do you know how long it actually took when finally someone said, stood up and said, no, this can be done? 52 days. And that wall was rebuilt. Trump can't even do a wall that quickly. Okay? Right? Right? 52 days. And this thing is done. Someone else's negativity had become their reality, and it wasn't even the truth. They didn't need to be listening to it. In fact, let me share with you an example from the sports world. Um, the experts said for decades that no human being could run a sub-four-minute mile. That is, run a mile under four minutes. They, they said it could not be done. The human body had never been able to do it. They said that it never will be. It was impossible for us less than, to run less than four minutes uh, a mile. And no one did it for century upon century upon century until in the 1950s, a man by the name of Roger Bannister did not listen to the experts, and he ran a sub-four-minute mile. Some of you remember when that happened. Now, let me tell you the amazing thing. In the next year and a half, 212 people ran a sub-four-minute mile. And in another year and a half, in three years since it happened, 
over 330 people ran a sub four-minute mile. What does that tell you? It says when we believe what the um, so-called experts tell us, that they could be suppressing us, that they could be pushing away from us from what God has called us to do and what we can do. I mean, Johnny Weissmiller, some of you recognize that name. He was the uh, Tarzan in the black and white movies. Johnny Weissmiller had record upon record upon record. He was kind of the Michael Phelps of his day in swimming. And people said, this guy is, is, is just the best specimen of a swimmer ever. There will never be anyone like him in the human race. No one will be able to ever break this guy's 50 uh, uh, records that he has. Do you know who is breaking Johnny Weissmiller's records today? 13-year-old girls are breaking his records today. No, no joke. 13-year-old girls. Don't let someone tell you you can't do it, especially if God is telling you you can. How someone else's negativity become your reality. Think about that. Have you been listening to what other people are saying about you or to you and taking you away from what God wants you to do? In fact, let me get a little personal on this. Can you remember a time, perhaps, when um, someone criticized you in a way that affected your life? Maybe they called you a name. Or maybe they used a character trait and, and labeled you as such. Maybe someone called you ugly or stupid or klutz or failure. I remember one time um, singing and kind of singing in a group of people, and, and someone kind of just, just offhanded, I'm sure they didn't even know what they were saying, but just kind of offhanded, looked at me and said, man, that is bad. <laughs> they, they said, can you get any flatter? Can you get any flatter? And you know what? Since then, I, I really don't sing out loud in public. I actually kind of lip sync sometimes when I'm singing. I mean, I have the guys turn off my mic because I don't want people to hear me. But today, on this stage, for the very first time, no, I'm joking, I'm not, no, 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 I'm not going there, no, 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 I'm joking, I'm pulling your leg, come on, come on, do it, do it, yeah, all right, yeah. But can you remember, perhaps, some of those comments in your life. I, I'm sure each and every one of us can. Whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, it's just a liar. It's not true. You remember some of those pains more than any other ones. That's the Samblat and Tobiah effect that we just read about in verses 6 through 11. But thank God we also have the Nehemiah remedy for that effect, and it comes about just after that. Here is God's cure for discouragement. Grab that outline. Let's fill this in. Let's do it quickly. Number one, get a new position on the problem. Get a new position on the problem. Verse 13 says, So in the lowest parts of the space, behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. He, got, he said, okay, 
grab a new position, grab a place. I don't know how many of you enjoy doing puzzles. Our, our family, my extended family, kind of likes to do them when we get together at Christmas time. And sometimes when you're building these puzzles, you can get kind of locked into an area and you're building a part of it as others are building the other part. It just helps to kind of shift and get to a new place and to see things differently. And someone else may say, I could never find that piece. And you walk in and you find that piece. It's because you, you look at things a little bit differently. Maybe you're going through that a little bit in your own life right now. Maybe there's something at work and you just kind of feel stuck. Maybe you need to get in and kind of clear your office and, and, and clean things up and just get a new perspective on things. Maybe there's a routine. You, you feel like you're just stuck in a rut in many ways. Um, go drive a different route to work, to home, to church, whatever it may be. Maybe it's in your devotional life and you're just not feeling like God is speaking to you. Maybe grab your Bible and go outdoors or read at a different time of the day or wake up in the middle of the night and read. And I, I mean, there would just be different. Imagine what God is saying to you and put yourself into the place and, and smell what's going on. See it, touch it in your mind's eye. Know that God is speaking to you as you read his word. In fact, in verse 13, it says, circle that word clans on your outline. In the NIV, it says families. I think it's real important to have a family around you. And I'm not just talking about a biological family. I'm talking about a spiritual family as well. Because the truth of the matter is, you will never go any higher or any greater than the people who you surround yourself with. Or put it another way, it's hard to soar with the eagles when you're surrounded by turkeys, right? Right? I, I mean, that's why we want to encourage you to get into community groups. We want to encourage you to be investing in others as others invest into you. I mean, that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to share celebrations of what God has been doing with over 600 people here who have gotten into those community groups and studied God's word, allowed it to penetrate their heart, but not only with reading God's word, but other people praying and interacting with your lives and encouraging you just as you've encouraged others. And if you've missed that, if you're not sure the benefit of that, come tonight and see that. There's so much benefit from having godly, Christian, positive people around you who can give you support and sometimes even a new position on the problems that you maybe are going through to, to alleviate the discouragement that you may be feeling. Let me give you a second point. It's on your outline. Again, it's this. Remember why you're doing what you're doing. Remember why you are doing what you're doing. This is called keeping the main thing the main thing. It's why even here at First Baptist we say our purpose is to help people take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known. You never want to forget that. You always want to realize that's what we are called to do. We are called to help people take their next step. You don't need to take my next step. You need to take your next step in, in, in helping people take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known. Look at verse 14, the first part of it. It says, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Nehemiah was saying, get your eyes off of the problem. Get it onto the solution. Remember, you are doing this for God. He's in our midst. God is in this. He is with us. He is great. He is awesome. The verse goes on to say that. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. 
He was getting their eyes off the tiring task of just the bricks and the mortar and the walls. And he's saying, no, get it to the flesh and the blood, the people around us. Man, I, I hope, you know, as over the last few months as we've been talking about, you know what, we've had this campaign going on and financially we're trying to pay off the children's building and the ministry center. We've been having to kind of make some tough things. And, and I brought the issues to you saying, hey, we're, we're behind in our budget. We're doing well with the campaign, but we're behind in our budget and such. I pray that you would realize the reason we talk about that is just what we saw up here in the baptistry. That we would see lives changed. That we would see little children going down into the water and come back up and even jump up three feet, right, as they are able to lift them up. And, and, and that just is symbolic of every dollar you put into that offering plate to say, that's what I want to see. That's what I want to see happen. Happen on the mission field, happen in our city, happen in our church. And First Baptist, let me say, you guys are doing a great job. Keep it up. We have taken a large chunk off of that um, uh, budget that we are trying to catch up on. Continue. Thank you so much for what you're doing. What you are giving to is changed lives. And it happens little by little by little by little. See, we can get discouraged if we look at the big picture and say, oh boy, we got so much of a debt, we need to overcome that. Or, oh boy, we're behind in the budget. No, you just look at it and say, God, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? Discouragement comes when obstacles look bigger than they are. I'm not sure how many of you have seen the movie Hoosiers. But it's an interesting movie about a small town high school basketball team. And this basketball team um, kept winning, and they go from this little tiny gymnasium in Hickory, Indiana, and they end up in the state finals and are playing in this humongous um, gymnasium. And I want to show you a scene here because they walk into this uh, gymnasium, never been in a place half this size, not even a quarter this size, and they walk in as a team, and they are awestruck by what they're going to be having to do and playing in this place, and I want to show you what the coach does to overcome some discouragement that these guys could get into. Take a look. under the backboard. What is it? Fifteen feet. Fifteen feet. Strap, put Ollie on your shoulders. Measure this uh, from the rim. Buddy? How far? Ten feet. Ten feet. I think you'll find us exact same measurements as our gym back in Hickory. <laughs> okay, let's get dressed for practice. Sometimes huge obstacles can become simple 
when you simply break them down. And that's what Nehemiah was trying to do. Hey, little by little by little by little. And the last point there on the outline is this. Accomplish the work together. Accomplish the work together. Verse 15 says, We all return to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. They had a trowel in one hand continuing the work on the wall. They had a spear or a sword in the other saying, we're going to fight to make this happen. We are prepared to do this. Let me say it this way. I will say this until the day I'm not your senior pastor. You are not called to be a Lone Ranger Christian. You need to do it in community. You need to work with others. You need to be in fellowship with others. You are not called just to come here on Sunday mornings, hear one hour of worship and a message, and then leave. It is so much greater than that. You are called to be an encouragement to others, even as others are called to encourage you. Like it or not, God's work through you is dependent upon other people working with you. And there is big momentum when God's people begin to work together for a common cause. I'll tell you one that I think just happened even this week. Tuesday night, so many of us were glued to our television sets. There was radical change that happened across our land. Uh, Most people would say the more conservative values came out from that night. Um, There's great hope by many people across our land, no matter what we see on the news and demonstrations and things like that. But let me tell you what I was very proud of. As I saw the news commentators begin to say that the evangelical vote had been heard. That is praise. They weren't even sure. They didn't even know which way the whole vote was going to go. But they said their numbers were telling them, their exit polls were showing them that, that the evangelical vote, that is you, that's the church. And we encouraged you with this last week. We said, get out and vote, get out and vote. Obviously, across this land, they did. And that has made a huge difference. I do not think our country would be on the verge of what it may be on if God's people didn't step out and get involved and vote. But folks, we have just come to one finish line. We're in a whole new journey now. Don't give up now. Continue to pray. Continue to step out. Continue to make a difference. Continue, continue, continue. You know, I don't think it's any um, accident that Nehemiah's story is the one closest to the coming of Jesus. I don't know if you realize that or not. But about 430 years, 450 years before Jesus came, this is the last story that we have recorded in Scripture. And then God goes kind of silent. I know he wasn't silent, but written-wise and with stories that we have in Scripture, there's not a 100-year span, not a 200-year span, not a 300, but over 400-year span before he goes silent and doesn't speak. And then we hear the cry of a baby in Bethlehem. And that cry of a baby is God becoming one of us saying you're not alone, and you never, ever, ever will be. That baby's cry 
is God becoming one of us. And in the whole New Testament, we have God's story through his son, Jesus. And because of the truth that is in there, because we know God is still on the throne, we might be here today in 2016, and we might not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Amen? Amen. Amen. God is still on the throne. He is still there. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are on the throne. I thank you that hope abounds that is in your son, Jesus. I thank you that after so many years that we have recorded in the Old Testament, we have hope alive in your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, we celebrate that. We rejoice in that. We live in that reality that, God, you have not remained silent. God, you have not become distant, but you have become even more a part of our lives when we know Jesus is Lord and Savior. And you know, maybe you're here today, and you don't know that reality of who Jesus Christ is. What God's Word says is that He became one of us through His Son, Jesus. And He lived on this world, and He died for our sins, and He rose again to new life. That's what we celebrated up there in the baptism waters. That's every person who went down under that water and came back up was symbolic of a brand new life that has been given to us. And if today... If today is a day that you say, I want to know more about what that means, it would begin with just saying the word Jesus. Jesus, would you come into my life today? I invite you in to be my Lord and Savior. And if that's your prayer today, would you come find me after the service? Would you come find one of these people who were baptized or maybe who invited you to come here to this service? We want to help you take that next step of knowing Jesus There's nothing greater you could do on this day. God, thank you for what that truth means. Thank you that it means we are not alone. Thank you that it means we don't have to have discouragement, that we don't have to have anxiety about the future. Because, God, we know who you are, and we know you are there. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are already in that future. You are guiding us through it. Lord, may we just step according to your word and according to your ways, and we will do it with great obedience. We love you. That's why we share now. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.